After seeing a vision of God's glory, Isaiah despairs that he is unworthy. But when an angel takes away his sins, he asks to be sent forth as God's servant. A reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him. Each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The pivots of the thresholds shook at the voices of those who called, and the house filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me! I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. The psalm for this morning is Psalm 29. If you'd please rise and join us in singing the psalm. Disciples have been redeemed from slavery to sin. 
As children adopted by God, we are now heirs with Christ of the Lord's own glory. A reading from the lesson from the letter of Paul to the Romans. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If, in fact, we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel of our Savior Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews, He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one is able to do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one is able to see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after he has grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh. What is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. You may be seated. Way back when my brother and sister-in-law were getting married, they wanted to use sort of the most antique uh, vows that they could find, the oldest set of vows that they could find, and so my brother went to the library and checked out um, a translation of the Sarum Missal, Sarum Missal was the mass book in use at Salisbury Cathedral or at Canterbury um, from which Cranmer translated our prayer book or parts of it. 
and he looked up the marriage vows. Um, the marriage vows back then were a rather more explicit um, than they are these days. We would be rather surprised to hear that language in church. Um, the woman promised the man to be bonny and buxom at bed and at board. Um, that would pretty much surprise you if you heard that in church these days. And the man, in his turn, promised the woman when he gave her the ring, he said, with this ring I thee wed, with my body I thee worship, with all of my worldly goods I thee endow. That's not the usual meaning that I put on the word worship. Um, a little more explicit than I, than I tend to think. Today is Trinity Sunday, and the preacher is supposed to say something intelligent about the Trinity, and greater theological minds than mine have been reduced to silence before that, so I'm not sure I'm going to have a whole lot to say. But the ancient Cappadocians talked about the Trinity as a dance. They used the word perichoresis in Greek, which means going round in circles. And so the Trinity was a going around in circles. If you look at the little figure on your, the front of your bulletin, you can trace that without ever lifting your finger off the page, sort of like a spirograph, right? You remember those games? It's a going around in circles. Each member of the Trinity constantly giving self to the others of the Trinity, and each member of the Trinity then giving self back to that member of the Trinity. So you could say, given the language from the marriage service, the life of the Trinity is worship, a constant giving of self. With this ring I thee wed, with my body I thee worship, ascribe worth to, give value to, with all my worldly goods I thee endow. And we are incorporated into the life of the Trinity. We give ourselves to each other, whether that be in families or extended beyond families or in households, constantly giving gift of self to others and receiving that gift back again. And that's why it's a trinity and not just two. Um, you've seen young couples who um, have eyes only for each other, who are sort of mooning over each other, constantly giving self to other and back again, and they just get kind of lost into each other, and it's not a particularly pretty thing. Um, we need that third to draw us out of that, to draw us into a larger context so that we're constantly giving self to others. I've heard the Trinity described as a family dancing together, father, mother, and son. And in fact, one of the earliest Christian trinities was father, mother, son. So that's the life of the Trinity, this constant worship. That's about what I'm going to say of that. Poor Nicodemus. We heard his story back in Lent, and here we have it again. He comes to Jesus by night, so we're already aware that he doesn't quite understand things because John has night be that um, time when things are not well understood. And he says to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one is able to do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So for Nicodemus, the question is one of authority. Who is this Jesus we know he's a teacher, he does signs, he teaches us about the kingdom, we respect his authority. And Jesus replies, 
unless a person is born from above or again, and the word means both those things, that person will not be able to see the kingdom of God. And if I'm Nicodemus, my response would have been, what? I was talking about authority. You're talking about seeing the kingdom. Two different things going on here. Jesus changes the conversation. And then we get this long discourse about being born from the Spirit and the wind blowing where it will and knowing this, we know, we speak of what we know. If I've told you earthly things and you don't get it, how can I tell you heavenly things? And we get to verse 316, and you've seen you know, the people at football games holding up John 316. It sticks out in this context like a sore thumb. We've had a, a discourse about spirit, about knowledge, about what's possible, about the kingdom. And then all of a sudden, Jesus says, For God so loved the cosmos that he gave his only begotten Son. What's love got to do with anything that we've been talking about here? About getting into the kingdom, about seeing the kingdom, about knowing who God is. For God so loved the cosmos that God gave his only Son. This is the only time in John's Gospel where God gives the Son. Every place else, God sends the Son. But here, God makes a gift of the Son to the cosmos. God extends the life of the Trinity to us, makes a gift of the divine self to us. God worships us. That's pretty stunning. And invites us into that. Whoever is born enters into the kingdom, participates in the life of the Trinity. Paul, in that passage to the Romans, says, We didn't receive a spirit of fear for slavery, but a spirit of adoption, so that when that spirit cries with our spirit, Abba, Father, we know that we are children of God. We have been included in the life of the Trinity, in the life of worship. Every Sunday, we bring some money, some bread, some wine, some food, and we carry it forward and put it on the altar to represent our lives. God has given the gift of the Son to us. We return the gift of our life to God. And then we sing that hymn, Holy, 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 um, just like the processional hymn that we sang coming in, just like Isaiah heard in the temple. What a magnificent vision for the beginning of his ministry. He sees the temple and in the temple the throne and God way above him and the, the hem of God's robe fills the temple and the seraphs are flying singing holy, holy, holy and it's thunderous. It shakes the temple. We participate in that. It sounds pretty meek when we do it but there are the angels singing with us thunderously holy, holy, holy when we put our gift of bread and wine on the altar. Isaiah has an immediate sense of his unworthiness. Oh, woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips from a people of unclean lips, and I have seen the king. And the angel flies with a coal and touches his lips and says, there, this has taken care of that. When we sing, it sounds pretty meager compared to those angels singing, but God accepts it. God says, that's good enough. And then Isaiah does something you should never do. When he hears God say, who will I send and who will go for us? He says, here I am, send me. Big mistake. Don't ever do it. 
because his ministry then is one of great discomfort. He has to call the king to account and say, you've forgotten to include the orphan and the widow. You've forgotten that God's gift extends to everyone, not just to you, that there is not anyone not included in that gift. God so loved the world, the whole world, the cosmos, that he gave his son. So our worship is participation in the life of the Trinity. God gives God's self to us, and we respond by giving ourselves to God and singing holy, holy, holy. And the angels sing with us so that we are incorporated into that divine life. And then include the whole cosmos. We are the body of Christ given for the world so that everyone may join in that worship. Amen.